We now hear God's word. If you have your Bibles with you, please open with me in Genesis chapter 37. We will be reading the whole chapter. The reading of God's word is an exposition in itself. And so let us hear God's word through this reading. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream. And told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields, and the man asked him, What are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, They have gone away, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes the dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. 
So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit it is if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh, and his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite trader passed by, and they drew Joseph out and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for twenty shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered the goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to show to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You have probably heard that read hundreds of times. But this is the word of the Lord today. And this teaches us that God's sovereignty in the story of Jacob's dysfunctional family is both expressed in God's being in control, not just of history's beginning and end, but also in its unfolding through his active participation in it. As our catechism puts it, God's works of providence over all things. And brothers and sisters in Christ, the same outworking of God's grace is applicable to us. The God who is sovereign and in control and the God who is active and participative in human history. The God who is transcendent and the God who is near. And so let me propose this morning that we are to trust that God is always at work in our lives. And yes, even in all the messiness that comes with it. Our assurance of this should lead us to work out our faith towards spiritual maturity in our dreams or depressions, in our victories and in our struggles. All to the glory of God by His Spirit and through our union with Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, it is a no-brainer that Joseph is probably one of the most clear shadows of Christ in the Old Testament, right? 
shadow, and fulfillment. We call it type and anti-type. Joseph is a type, and Jesus Christ is the anti-type. The parallelisms were just, you know, crystal clear when we read the passage. And we will touch on that in our message. But before it is a shadow, it was first and foremost a real historical event. Jacob, Joseph, and his brothers were historical family. And this story is about a family, but a dysfunctional family. It's about brothers, but not brotherhood. That though the word brother appeared more or less 20 times in our passage, brotherly hate was the clear picture that we can see in this narrative. But it's all a too familiar picture of brotherly hate since the beginning chapters of Genesis, right? Cain and Abel, Isaac and Ishmael, Jacob and Esau, and now Joseph and his brothers. Yet, there is not a microsecond that God was not in control of this narrative. And the same is true with us. God is in control of our stories. And there are two things from our passage that I would like to focus this morning. So I will be having two points. And I will be having a key word, actually, for our children. This is my favorite thing. So children, listen to the key words for our major points. Now, first point God uses the dysfunction to fulfill his redemptive plan. From brokenness to perfection. The key word, kids, remember, glow. So when you go home after the service and you want to be reminded of the story of Joseph, just mention these key words to your parents. Okay, Glow. That's the first point. Number two, God matures his children through sufferings. Humiliation precedes exaltation. And the key word is grow. Two points, glow and grow. As we look at this family, we see first and foremost in our passage, Jacob. First one, Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojourning in the land of Canaan. It was supposed to be a peaceful retirement right? But he was in for a surprise, and it is a messy one. But if we know the story, it's almost impossible to miss that it was first and foremost Jacob's fault. In verse 3, it says, now Israel. Did you notice that interesting change from Jacob in verse 1 to Israel in verse 3, which usually signifies the converted Jacob but still a messed up sinner. Interesting, B.B. Warfield called us miserable Christians just because we are still sinners, but we are saved sinners who by the grace of God and the active obedience of Christ, we strive to walk in holiness. And even as we celebrate the Reformation Month, we remember Simon Justus et Peccator from Martin Luther that we are holy at the same time sinners. And so we 
trust that the active obedience of Jesus Christ will definitely help us to overcome evil. It says in verse 3, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. Now, Joseph's robe was not the proper uniform for work. Okay? It's the kind of robe, robe that a boss would have. And that may explain why Joseph, in verses 12 and 13, was at home while his brothers were out working. Jacob loved Joseph, and the passage tells us, because he was the son of his old age. But what about Benjamin? But I mean, there is really nothing, you know, that can justify favoritism. What was the inevitable result? In verse 4, we see, But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Rightly so. Who would have not found fault in that? And we know how that hatred escalated. Interestingly, Jacob, of all people, should be the one who understands how messed up favoritism can be and where it can lead to. He did not learn that lesson from his past, from his grandfather Abraham with Isaac and Ishmael, and from his father Isaac with him and his brother Esau. This is history repeating itself. This man Jacob caused his family to be dysfunctional, a family that became dysfunctional because of him. This is a terrible story, a dysfunctional family. It was a cycle of messed up sin. Yet God rescued his story. God rescued his family. God rescued Israel. And that particular twist or plot in the story, as we all know, will be the recurring theme of God's covenantal love with Jacob, his sons, and the nation of God, which will be called Israel. Hard-headed, stiff-necked community, yet God was faithful to them. Beloved, that is also our story. We are all messed up sinners who, if left on our own, are bound for failure. Yet God saved us. Yet God called us to be part of his covenant community in Christ. Yet God promised to never leave us nor forsake us by the indwelling presence of the Spirit. We are Jacob. There is really not a time in our lives that we do not need God to help us overcome our tendency to rebel against Him. We are in constant war with our sinfulness, and so by acknowledging God's saving grace, we respond in gratitude by killing our sins every day. By an extended application, we can also say that Jacob was a messed up father. His family was dysfunctional. But God is a perfect father, a good one, 
who is not partial, but the one who is personal. And his family, the church, diverse as we are, imperfect as we are, our spiritual family is what God ordinarily used for us to be built up in faith. That was Jacob. Now let's go to Joseph's brothers in verse 4. Because of their jealousy, they hated Joseph. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. This can also be translated as they could not say hello to their brother. They could not greet him shalom, peace. How is it going? How are you doing? They could not. Did you notice that? It does not say they would not. They could not. It's not that they would not speak to him. It says they could not say peace. Or it can also mean they could not reconcile with him. It made them sick to the stomach to even greet their brother knowing that he was deemed more important over them. And then in verse 5, Joseph, a simpleton, who probably, probably was either not aware of his brother's hatred towards him or he was just plain arrogant, he told them a dream. A dream. And they hated him. And now they were furious of him. Why would you say such thing knowing that your brothers already hated you for being the favorite son? In verse 8 it says, His brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? Two questions. Almost the same thing. Interestingly, and commentators would say that the first one is a question whether Joseph will rule over them as a righteous king. And the second one is whether Joseph will rule over them as a tyrant king. And for us who know the story, Joseph will be a righteous ruler, right? But unfortunately, there was no interpretation of the dream when it was first given. Joseph did not know. But there was a second dream. And it basically implies that the first dream was a legitimate dream from the Lord. There was no interpretation, but the second dream vindicated the first dream. It was a vindication that the first dream was indeed, we call it, a special revelation from God. In verse 9, Then he dreamed another dream. Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. Then verses 10 to 11 tell us of the family's response to this revelation from God. Jacob rebuked him. His brothers were, were even more furious to him. It was a rejection of God's revelation in the part of Jacob. That, that explains why he kept it to himself, right? But he rebuked Jacob. He rebuked his son Joseph. It was a rejection of God's revelation. It was unbelief. Their hatred toward their brother caused them to even shun away God's revelation. And brothers and sisters, how does that reflect our nature? When we harbor hatred and when we keep on having unforgiving spirit, 
It hardens our hearts. It deafens our ears from hearing the revelation from God, from hearing the word of God, and from responding in obedience. But despite their unbelief, which escalated negatively, we can still see the outworking of God's grace in their mess, that it was somehow instrumental for Joseph to eventually be in Egypt, right? Which, of course, part of God's plan to preserve his line, where this, where, the line where the Savior will come from, the line of Judah. If Joseph was not in Egypt, they will be dead because of the famine. And so the hatred of his brothers toward Joseph led them to the end of the story, as we all know, Joseph being in Egypt. In a sense, it was you know, part of God's providential care and part of God's unfolding of his redemptive plan. But am I suggesting that the irresponsibilities and evil deeds of his brothers are somehow justified because in the end God will mean them for good? By no means. We cannot always quote the words of Joseph out of context. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. It is not a license for us to continue messing up since God will be the one to somehow turn it for good. God does not lead us to temptation. So stop using the word of God to justify our sinfulness. God does not cause us to sin. God does not give us unbelief. God does not plan abuses and then bring good out of them. No. God did not put hatred and jealousy in the hearts of Joseph's brothers. God did not impress to Jacob to have a favorite son. We are responsible for our own sins and actions, and we must deal with them. But our weakness, our struggles in this broken world must always point us to the elder brother, the true brother, the brother who loves us, the brother who will be with us through and through, Jesus Christ, not Reuben. It seems that Reuben was the better elder brother, right? He wanted to save Joseph, but he wanted to save Joseph to save face. Jesus is our better elder brother. And so in our weaknesses, in our messiness, we turn to him. And we say, be thou my vision. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. And we f- when we fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, and that becomes a lens where we see everything else, it changes the way we see the here and now. God is at work in and through our mess and so that we can also find rest in Christ amidst 
our brokenness. And so let us God, let us ask God to turn our eyes to the perfect obedience of Jesus Christ whenever we mess up in our own life, in our relationship with our neighbors, or whether we belong to a dysfunctional family, a dysfunctional relationship, we can find hope in our elder brother, Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus Christ made our story better than the story of this dysfunctional family. Jesus was the favored son of Israel. Christ is the homogeneous, the beloved, the favorite, unique son of God in John 3.16. Joseph was given a handmade robe, which eventually in the story was stripped from him and dipped in blood. Just as Christ, according to Revelations chapter 19, verse 13, clothed in robe, dipped in blood. Joseph's beautiful, beautiful robe messed up his family. Christ's bloody robe made a way for a reconciliation in the family of God. Christ is the better Joseph. For it is not a dream but the fact that he is the only one that the sun, moon, and stars bow down to. Christ is a better Joseph, a better brother, a better son, a better savior, a better ruler, a better way to a better city. And beloved, cling to Jesus. Whatever brokenness you are dealing with, Right now, like Jacob and the brothers of Joseph, whether in your personal life or whether you belong to a dysfunctional family or relationships, whether you are groaning in this life as you struggle with all the effects of sin in this world, in this society, in this nation, or even in community, cling to Jesus, run to him. He is our city of refuge. From brokenness to perfection, God uses our brokenness to purify us and to perfect us. Only through the active obedience of Christ, which is at work in us. And for the second point, God matures his children through sufferings. Humiliation precedes exaltation. The key word for children, grow. We can see this in verses 12 to 36. We will not read all the passages, and we will refer to it from time to time. We can see here that God working out all things for our own good does not mean that we will be spared from sufferings and toxic effects of sin in this world. No. The series of unfortunate events in the lives of Jacob's family, which caused painful experiences, were not incidental, but are part of God's plan and purposes for them. For them, to mature them from being a dysfunctional family to finally experiencing a reconciliation in the end. That's, what's, that's what happened at the end of the story. To which the sufferings, particularly 
of Joseph were instrumental. So we can actually draw from that a very important lesson. Let us not waste our sufferings. Let us not waste them. Let us worship God in our sufferings. God will use our sufferings to mature us. Humiliation precedes exaltation. Now, now this does not mean that we seek for suffering. I'm not suggesting that. The early believers faithfully preached the gospel, whether it will cost them their lives. But they did not, you know, go and surrender themselves and say, I will not recount the name of Christ. They did not do that. They were faithfully doing the work of the Lord. And if they die doing that, then so be it. But they were not seeking for it. That's, that's different. No. But as, all we, as we all know, sufferings are just part of our Christian life. This is not our home. We live in tents and boots as we pilgrimage towards the promised land. Tents and boots. But God is our conquering king who takes care of us in this wilderness as we pilgrimage towards our heavenly home. This story is also part of the bigger story of God reconciling us to himself through the suffering of his son, Jesus Christ. The sufferings of Joseph and his exaltation in Egypt was a clear shadow of the humiliation of Christ and the exaltation of Christ. And we can read that in Philippians chapter 2, the incarnation of Christ, his suffering, and he was then exalted. Though the story of Joseph clearly shadows the story of Jesus, it is important to mention that the story of Joseph was a necessary prerequisite in history for the fulfillment of God's redemptive plan through his son. Joseph in Egypt was the reason for the preservation of Judah, from whom the line of the Messiah shall come. Therefore, everything that happened in order for Joseph to go to Egypt is first and foremost God's work of making Joseph's dream come true, but ultimately God's work of fulfilling his redemptive plan through his son, Jesus Christ. It's mind-blowing and at the same time heart-comforting to marvel at God's mighty works in history. And he is the same God who knows, who works in us a story which is for his. And as readers of this story, we can also see ourselves in their place and consider the sufferings that we have gone through in the past and are going through right now as God's means of maturing us and conforming us in the likeness of his son. Hence, we do not waste our sufferings. Now let us look at the story in our passage and again, we'll look at 
three groups of people in the story. First are the brothers of Joseph. So Jacob sent Joseph to check on his brothers, right? In verse 18, his brothers spotted him from a distance. And it's probably because of his colorful cloak. (laughs) Their plot to kill Joseph could mean that this is something that they've talked about in the past. It was premeditated. Or it could also be a plan that just came to their minds on that day. Regardless, verse 9 tells us, we hear the sarcastic tone of the brothers when they said, Here comes the dreamer. It is as if they are confident that their plan to kill him will definitely prove Joseph's dreams to be false. Oh, they did not know. It's part of the story. Now, I am assuming that we know at least how the story went, right? So, I will not repaint the picture on this part of our message, but I want for us to know this. Interestingly, the brothers' plot to kill Joseph in verses 18 to 19 was the same idea of verb used in Genesis chapter 4, the picture when Cain killed his brother Abel. This is a consistent picture of how Genesis 3.15, the first gospel promise, if we know it, the enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman, who will be in constant conflict. And there is no doubt that Abel and Joseph belong to the seed of the woman. Cain and the brothers of Joseph were participating with what the seed of the serpent will be doing. And that is to bruise, destroy, disappoint the purpose of the seed of the woman. And brothers and sisters in Christ, evil is at work in ruining the purpose of God for his children and for the church. The seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman is still in conflict. They are still in war with one another. Christ through his church and sin, Satan, and secularism in the world. While the dysfunction in the family of Jacob was used by God for good, the dysfunction was clearly a result of sinful decisions on the part of Jacob and on the part of Joseph's brothers. Again, yet God worked all those things according to his ultimate plan, how he preserved his covenant community towards the grand story of Jesus as the final seed. But how about the brothers of Joseph? Well, they were eventually reconciled to him, right? Even though their deeds were evil and should be punished and should not be justified by the fact that it was not incidental in making the dreams of Joseph come true, God also had the purpose for Joseph's brothers. And at the end of the story, we see God's outworking of his transforming grace in their lives. And God cured the dysfunction in their family and the brothers repented of their sins. What is our takeaway from the story of Joseph's brothers? We see that the devil is also at work. The spiritual darkness is moving, and it's moving fast and smart and aggressively. Sin, Satan, and secularism are now even entering our churches and are trying to cause dysfunctions and chaos. So it's possible when we think about secularism, we're not just thinking from the in outside. 
it has been entering churches and pulpits and leadership. And we must be careful. And so while we acknowledge the sovereign work of God in our lives, we have the responsibility to be faithful to Christ, the seed of the woman, and not and never participate in the works of the seed of the serpent. And so, beloved, if you are doing ungodly things right now, and you know in your heart of hearts that these things are folly and are hurtful to your spiritual life and might cause hurt to your spiritual family or even in your own biological family, repent of them. Confess your sins to God. Now let's talk about Jacob, and then we'll end with Joseph quickly. Then his brothers went to pasture their father's flock in Shechem. Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send you to them. And he said to him, I will go. Was Jacob not aware that his other sons hated Joseph? In fact, last time we learned that in the early part of this story, Joseph's brothers could not even say shalom to him, and that was because of Jacob's partiality. We can only assume that probably the brothers did not show their father the rage they have towards Joseph. Because if he knew, he could have guessed that what the brothers would, would do to Joseph, which would actually happen. Was it really Jacob's old age that caused him to be insensitive, making a bad decision after another? It could be, but it could also tell us of his poor decision-making, lacking of wisdom and discernment, and at times, many times, committing intentional sins because of his selfishness. Remember, Jacob deceived his own brother by means of a coat and a slaying of a goat. Interestingly, those were the two things he received upon hearing the news about what happened to Joseph from his other sons. A coat dipped in the blood of the goat, verses 31 to 33. His sufferings he actually bought upon himself. Old habits constantly knocking at the door. And in our foolishness, our lack of wisdom and discernment, we, like Jacob, at times welcome these old habits back to dine in with us. What are the struggles that you are still wrestling with right now, brothers and sisters? Jacob, the man who wrestled with God, continues to wrestle with sin and old sins. The same good news that we can see here, yet God, the great surgeon, was constantly working in his life. He's doing a lot of work in the life of Jacob, even in his old age. And use them to make a case that Israel will never outgrow his need of God's help. We are no better than Jacob. Jacob is a clear mirror of each and every one of us, brothers and sisters in Christ. I wrestled with God. I know things. I've been there. I've done that. I'm an elder. I'm a pastor. I'm at my time of my age where you know, I can say I'm better than everyone else. No. You and me are Jacob's. Wounds too deep. And we need a lifetime of treatment from our great surgeon. And so we wake up every day acknowledging that, Lord, 
I'm weak. Be my strength. In my foolishness, be my wisdom. And in my shortcomings, help me to cling on to your faithfulness. Let's go to Joseph. I will end here. In verses 14 to 15, Joseph traveled to Shechem through the valley of Hebron. And Shechem was where his brothers are pasturing. It was 50 miles from their house. It was not from Lansing to Gary. It was not seven miles. <laughs> the most interesting part of his trouble, travel was when he bumped into a man who knew where his brothers are. And they were in Dotton, probably 13 miles more. Where did that man come from? Why was a random man present in that field at the right time, at the right place where Joseph was looking for his brothers? The man was definitely God's providence working his plan to make Joseph's dreams come true. Only that man was actually instrumental for Joseph being thrown into the pit and being sold into slavery and being imprisoned. Joseph did not know the ending of the story, of course, and how frustrating that must be for him to find himself hated and resented by his brothers and find himself in the pit and sold as a slave and find himself in that prison. Only if he did not meet that man in the field, he could have gone home instead and bring a bad report of his brothers. Well, Father, they are not there. They're not working. But he met the man. But they were not, and that man said that they were not in Shechem. That man in the field was both a curse and a blessing to Joseph and his family. The sufferings they went through because of that man in the field. Without that man, probably there was no reconciliation in the family which took place after 13 years. Well, Pastor Joel, God could have used another means. But he used that man, didn't he? No matter how perfect our plans and dreams are, beloved, messed up things happen. For Joseph... He probably have thought of the same thing. My brothers and my father were supposed to bow down before me, but it is I who is down here in the pit. I was supposed to be a ruler, but here I am, a slave and a prisoner. And these things happen, and as cliche as it may sound, beloved, these things happen for a reason. And these things are not outside of God's providential care for his children. For the people during the times of Jesus, we see the same thing. For some time, they thought that their Savior has finally come to rescue them from their enemies. And to see Him hanging on the cross is the total opposite of what they thought should have happened. But it was the way, in fact, the only way Jesus accomplishes His saving work. God's work in us is a pers as personal as it can get because He is a personal God. But he will never be, it will never be a work in isolation because he is a God of community. He dealt with Joseph personally, with his brothers, with Jacob. But all are woven together for their growth and spiritual maturity. Each character is as important as the others. But see how this historical event and this historical family intertwined with the meta-narrative, the grand story of God's redemptive work through Jesus Christ. And the same thing is true with us, brothers and sisters. We live our lives, we fulfill our responsibilities, we do our best in our professions, and we strive to be a better parents, 
and children. For our own growth, yes. For the growth of our family, yes. For the good of our community, yes. But we do all these things to the glory of God and the proclamation of the gospel. Notice the shadow and fulfillment between the story of Joseph and the story of Jesus. Joseph was sent to help his brothers who then sold him to the Gentiles in verses 12 to 14 up to 28, just as God sent his son Jesus Christ to save his brothers but was not received. And worse, they gave him up to the Gentiles. And as Joseph was sold for a price of a slave, and so was Christ. Joseph was falsely accused, and so was Christ. Joseph goes down to the pit, and so was Christ, died and buried. But Joseph rises from that pit and seated in power as the prime minister of all Egypt. And he saved not only Israel and his family, but also according to Genesis 41, people of all the earth came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph. Just as Jesus rose from the dead and seated at the right hand of the Father in power and became the Savior of his people. By grace, through faith in him, we are saved. If you are a believer, the same gospel message has the power to sustain you in your Christian life and to mature you in your sufferings. If you are here right now and you know in your heart of hearts that you are still rebelling against your God, this is the day of your salvation. Jesus Christ lived the perfect life you could not live. He died the death you should have died. To save you from your sins. Call to him and repent from your sins and be saved. In view of our message this morning, just as salvation was accomplished through the suffering of God's Son, Jesus Christ, God also uses our sufferings for our spiritual maturity and our conformity to the likeness of Christ. Just as what the Apostle Paul said in the church in Philippi, we share in the sufferings of Christ. From brokenness, God used it to purify us unto perfection. Our sufferings is a picture of our humiliation that precedes our exaltation with Jesus Christ in the heavenly places. May God be with us now and every day of our life. Peace be with you. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your redemptive story which includes the family of Jacob his sons and Joseph which is part of your meta narrative your grand story of sending your son Jesus Christ to live the life he could not live and die the death we should have died and we know Lord that our stories are also part of your story and so help us to participate in your kingdom building in this broken world as we continue to receive and be built up in this local congregation through the means of grace even even as we go out and proclaim our lord and savior jesus christ to this world help us father to even use the sufferings that we are experiencing for your glory and for your and for the edification of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We give you thanks. We give you glory. In Christ's name, amen.